Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. We're in this series is called The Plug. Let me explain to you the, the point of it. If you've ever heard people use the term plug, raise your hand if you've heard somebody use the term plug. Then you know what it is. A plug is like, that's somebody that, you know, you might have a plug for your, for your sneakers or a plug for whatever it is. It's somebody who has what you need, right? So we're in this series over the next couple of months, and we're going to be preaching about Jesus Christ, but we're going to be looking in the text like, what did he actually say? What happened with him? What happened around Jesus? And we're going to be going through it, and what we're going to see that he's the plug, like he is everything that we need. So we went with the plug. But like when you look at the white text up there, what do you see? Say it with, put some thuggish, thug juice with it. What do you see? All right, all right, okay. And so one of the things we pulled that out is because, you know, I think a lot of times we like to paint Jesus the way we want to see him, right? But I ask myself sometimes, I'm like, when I look at the scriptures and I think about Jesus, if he was alive today, how would the media and how would people paint him, right? Like the, the Bible talks about him being a man who knew sorrows and grief deeply, rejected by his own people, right? He would be a thug. All of the elite of the establishment of the government, even of the church, the Pharisees, they wanted him to die. Matter of fact, they killed him, right? He was to them essentially a thug. So as we work through this series, that's one of the things you'll see too, that Jesus was actually very much against the flow and stream of what the world says is right and proper and prim. He came to rock everybody's categories. Y'all, y'all with me so far? So this is the plug series. This is the first time we're gonna jump into it. My brother, Pastor Rodney, led us last week, and I'm gonna be jumping in. The text we're gonna be in today is John 6, 25. Um, and John 6, starting at verse 25. And so, I'm scared to say this because anybody who goes to church knows that this is a lie. I'm going to try to make this quick. All right? I'm really going to try for real because I know we're going to, you know, have festivities afterwards. But anytime I know when a preacher says, I'm going to make this quick, that joint be like two, three hours. She'd be like, yo, why is this? Like, how about him lying? He preaching online, he a liar, you know? It's always bad like that or whatever, right? All right, but we're going we're gonna to breeze through it really quick, and I just really want to point out some beautiful stuff in the gospel. Let me give you the context of the scripture before I start reading. So this is right after Jesus had just fed 5,000 people with five small barley loaves and two small fish. Most of y'all know that story, right? Jesus is preaching to the people. Everybody in the crowd is hungry. Jesus looks at them, and he has compassion, and he's like, yo, what are we going to do? These people need to eat or whatever. And there's people like, yo, we don't got nothing for them, like, you know. It's Sunday, Chick-fil-A is closed, we don't got nothing for him, right? What do you want us to do? So, you know, I think a shepherd boy is there, he's like, yo, I got some, I got a little something in my basket I was going to nibble on later, and Jesus is like, bring it here, and the disciples are looking at him like, brother, like he has a a fish dinner for himself, what are you going to do with that? Jesus takes it, boom, and they just start feeding people, and they end up feeding 5,000 people, so he does this amazing miracle, right? Y'all with me so far? All right, y'all, y'all unimpressed by that, by that miracle? It ain't a big deal. Okay, all right, all right, see? All right. So he does a miracle. He feeds 5,000 people. And during this time, we're in the book of John, but even if you go just, we're in chapter 6, but if you go a couple chapters before that, Jesus 
is stepping into this ministry where he's like, he's about to press gas, the gas on what God has, has sent him for. He is God, but like what he has actually been born to do, right? And he's doing miracles, right? Um, and, 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 and one of the other texts, it says, when Jesus, what Jesus did here in, in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So he's actually walking around doing amazing miracles, and this is the way that people are going, oh, I think this is the Christ that they've been talking about, and they're believing him and following him, right? So he prophesies to the woman at the well, and she believes. He, um, prophes he, he speaks to this, he prophesies to this guy named Nathaniel, and, and Nathaniel believes in him. He changes water to wine and gets the party popping. All right. I told you, you see the white letters that was up there earlier. Y'all think it's a game. All right. Anyway, y'all will catch up with me soon. We're going to keep over world or whatever. But he's doing these miracles, right? And so this is the setting. He just got done doing the, you know, he just got done feeding 5,000 people. And, you know, basically what happened was they were across the water and his people left on the boat. Jesus didn't go with them. And it's like the next morning, everybody gets up. There's no more boats, but Jesus is going also. And they're like, Jesus didn't leave with them. Where's Jesus at? So the people all cross the water, and they show up, and Jesus is over there chilling. They just over there kind of baffled, like, how did homie get over there, right? But nevertheless, they roll up on him, and this is where the conversation starts in verse 25. Are we ready to roll? Can we say amen? All right. Y'all got to wake up for me today. I told you I'm half off and delirious. Y'all got to work with me, all right? Help me keep some balance. So verse uh, 25, he says this. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. So let's, we're going to jump into that piece, and we'll take this text piece by piece or whatever. We're not going to go through the whole entire thing, but we're going to jump through it, right? So straight off the bat, Jesus sees them, and he's not up for the games. So he's like, they're like, oh, Jesus, Jesus. He's like, listen, homie, you only came to get another fish dinner. All right, know what it is. Stop playing games. Did y'all catch that? All right. Jesus don't really play around like that. Like I said, we all be painting him like he's all sweet and everything. He's very abrupt a lot of times in the scripture, but he's like, hey, you didn't come for that or whatever. You came to actually get a meal, right? And so this is about to begin a, a conversation where he is talking about working for food that perishes versus food that he endures for eternal life. So the fallen state of mankind is so much so that we see miracles in front of us and they're not even impressive anymore. Right? Like, we're nonchalant about things. We just are naturally. Like, I love the sun. I think we all love the sun. But when you scientifically even go into the minute amount of information we have about the sun, it's utterly horrifying, right? It's a big ball of fire in the sky. If it, move, if it moves six inches to the left, it'll fry us. And it's just hanging in, in the sky. I'm sorry, does that not impress anybody in the room? That, that gives me a little fear and trembling or whatever. I, I don't know how I sleep at night, but somehow I've managed to just make my peace with it and go to bed. But like, I'm like, I'm worried about my count moving up or down or whatever and looking crazy or whatever. But like the sun, if it goes over six inches, it's gonna burn the whole side of your joint off. You, real, you, fit, you with me? But we're nonchalant about this type of stuff or whatever, right? And, and Jesus is kind of getting to the heart of this matter where he's like, yo, 
you just saw me do an absolute miracle and you ran up on me about some food, right? So he, he's hitting them right from the joint right there. He's right from the spot. He's hitting them right there. Do not work for food that perishes, but food that endures for eternal life, right? But they're caught up on this food that perishes. In other words, they're trying to trade the eternal for temporal, right? Luke 9 says it like this. It says, what does it profit a man to gain the world and to forfeit his soul? You get where I'm coming from? This thing that we find ourselves in where we are chasing the, the, the next fix. You want to know it's crazy? Sometimes when, and some of y'all probably done this before, you ever dealt with somebody who's in like really, really dire need? And they're like, yo, I just need this to fix this right now. And you're like, cool. That'll only fix it for a minute though. I got something that'll fix this where you'll never have to deal with this problem again. And they're like, oh, you can miss me with that. Click. You ever like dealt with somebody in a situation like that? Where it's like, it's like, no, I just need, I need the $20. I'm like, yeah, I can put you in a situation where you get $250 every single week. But they're like, nah, I need the fix right now. You understand? Do y'all get where I'm coming from? You never met nobody like that? Y'all better wake up. Come on now. They want a, they want a, they want a temporary fix. The hunger is off. And it's not just a something's off. Jesus like, this is a real, real problem for you. Because what is at stake is, it, this, is a, this is a very weighty, weighty matter. It's of eternal weight, right? Don't work for food that perishes, but food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. He is telling them a whole lot in this conversation. He's talking over their heads, and they're missing it because they're just like bread and biscuit and all that hungry, Right? They're like thinking about like them golden corral biscuits while he's talking like, yeah, I hear you, man. Where's the honey butter? Like that's all they can think about. That's all they can think about. And they're missing the whole thing. He's like, I'm the, you're talking to the bread of life. You're missing it. And this is just the premise of the conversation starting here, right? We chase perishable things all the time. Things that have no eternal value. Do you agree? I think if we take stock on our life, if we look at how much stuff we put energy to that are really frivolous and blowing in the wind all the time or whatever, it's kind of heartbreaking at times, right? I know we need money to live, but money, it doesn't feel this whole less in our hearts, right? It's going to disappear, right? If you don't believe me, statistics say that some of the wealth, one of the wealthiest zones in this city has the most suicides. And one of the poorest contexts has the most charitable donations in the city. Everything is flipped upside down, right? Everything's flipped upside down. Let me read verse 28. Let's keep moving. Jesus answers them, right? So he says, do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to, to, endures to, internal, to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. And in verse 28 says, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? This sounds like such a genuine, beautiful question. It sounds so good. It really, really does, right? Um, but their heart, is, their heart is already crooked. So they're not asking it with sincerity they still have something on the other end in mind, right? I'll tell you how this goes. Like, 
I sometimes I'll ask my wife stuff or whatever, like, um, like I'll see her up moving and grooving, doing a bunch of stuff or whatever, and I'll be like, hey, babe, listen, you know, let me, um, let me go change that pamper for you. But when I ask the question, I'm already thinking in my head, like, she better not tell me to go change that pamper. But if I ask this question, and she says, no, don't worry about it, babe, I'm going to look like the man. Right? Do you get where I'm coming from? My heart's already crooked with the whole thing or whatever, right? You know what I'm saying? I don't want the wrong answer to come out on the other side, but I'm going to ask the question. Right? So they say to him, they say, what, what must we do to do the works of God? This is, this right here, this thing, it's, this is a big deal right here. You want to know why? Because so many people have answered this question. And then they didn't answer it like Jesus. This is how we get churches that are money hungry. This is how people have boxed up everything concerning God and started capitalizing off of it. They're like, yo, we'll tell you how to do it. Give, give, give all your money, and then you'll be righteous before God. We'll tell you how to, how to, how to, how to get this working. We'll show you how to do it. Walk around with this Pharisee hyper-religiosity that makes everybody else feel shame, like they're not good enough. But walk around shouting all the works that you're doing for God all of the time. That's how people have answered this question often. What must we do to, do, to be doing the works of God? Some of y'all already know the, other answer, the, the, the corrupt answer to this because you've asked people before. And the first thing they've done, they've, they've done in response to your question is, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. All the things they say you need to earn favor with Christ Jesus. But it's not the gospel, right? And we're going to see it's not the gospel in verse 29. What must we do to be doing the works of God? Do you know that there's people who actually are loaded in churches this morning all over the world, and some of them are in there worshiping, crying, pouring their hearts out before the Lord, and they're actually worshiping themselves? They've just put God's face on it, right? For them, showing up to worship isn't based off of response to what God has done for them. It's actually what they do to be religious is what they feel church people are supposed to do. And because they want to be in the good box and earn their goodness, they show up to be good. Does that make sense? There's a big difference. This is not what the Word of God calls following the Lord. It doesn't call that a proper response. That's a, Lord, we came to get some bread response. That's not a, Lord, you are the bread response. Y'all with me? Verse 29, he answers them and he says this. He says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who has sent me, whom, whom he has sent, right? This is the work of God, that you believe in whom he has sent. First, we've got to ask a couple of questions. What did he come to do and how does he do it, Right? couple things we need, to, we need to know. Let me read something to you really quick. This is 1 John 1.5. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God 
is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, does what? Cleanses us from all sin. So one of the things he came to do is to actually cleanse mankind from all their sin. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So when he says that you believe in him who he has sent, he's saying to believe in the work of the one that God has sent, his son, Jesus Christ, right? Y'all with me so far? All right? But what we just read inside of 1 John is that what he's come to do is to actually cleanse all of our sins. And the people that get their sins cleansed are the ones who actually raise their hand and go, yo, I ain't come for the bread, I came for the bread, right? I came to have my sins wiped away. I came to have eternal life with the creator of the universe, right? The ones that actually miss out are the ones that are in the back like, nah, I don't, I'm good. They miss it. Do you get where I'm coming from? Y'all with me so far? That's what, that's what gospel is. That's what the church is a community of people that actually walk in the light is supposed to be. I'm not saying that we're perfect or we're there or anything at all. We're in the process of being sanctified. So God is always working on us, drawing us deeper into his light. We're getting to know each other. And the way we know each other is not with just shucking and jiving and playing games, but actually gathering around the word of God and actually confessing sin to each other, walking in the light more and more, and then lavishing each other with the mercy and grace that God gives us, right? Because he doesn't invite you into the light. He's not like us. Right? So, like, I've beckoned my kids into the light and be like, you know, you need to tell the truth. You need to tell the truth, baby. And they're just like, oh. all right. And then they tell the truth, and I'm like, oh, it's over for you now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, he's not doing one of those. He's saying that it's going to, like, I came here to, to remove all of your iniquities. You don't got to hide, and you don't have to keep the skeletons in the closet. Pull all of them out. It's a free-for-all. My blood on the cross and my sacrifice for you is sufficient so you get to walk in the light and be free now, right? The work, and I believe anybody, any believer that's been walking with the Lord knows this. The hard part of the walk is not trying to walk and play the game of being a Christian, and like what people think that actually is, the hard part is actually believing the gospel for yourself. When I'm down and depressed, which happens, the hard thing for me to believe is the gospel. It's hard for me to believe that Jesus died for my sins, that his death is sufficient enough to cover my sins, right? When I lose it on one of my kids and I respond to them improperly, it hurts me. When I yell at them or whatever, I'm like, man, I shouldn't have responded like that. And it's because I love them. I'm like, dang, I love them. I'm like, that probably hurt them. And then it begins to hurt me. Sometimes I don't even want to go fix it. I just want to just sit there and be like, you just, 
He's just the worst, you know that? He's an old dirty, low-down, hypocrite, dirty dog. And just, you get where I'm coming from? Just feeling like that, right? And in that moment, my fight is actually believing the gospel. And usually when I work around to actually believe in the gospel again, and I'm like, you know what? God saw me in this mess when he went, when, when Jesus saw me in this mess when he went to go lay on the cross for me. Like, he wasn't oblivious to it. This is what he was actually dying for. This is the sin that he was saying, bring into the light. This is the sin that he was actually being brutalized for, right? And giving himself for. So it's either I live in this condemnation that makes me run away from the Lord, or I live inside of this conviction that makes me run to it and go, thank you for what you did on the cross, because I realize that this disgusting part of me is pent on that cross. Do you get where I'm coming from? And then it helps me go back to my kids and say, forgive daddy. Forgive daddy. I need mercy too. Like I, I, I had to go to the Lord with this. I need mercy too. Do y'all get where I'm coming from? We, we, we rocking together? This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. We are saved by grace alone. Y'all know what grace is? It's a popular word we use in church these days or whatever. I don't know if everybody always knows actually what, actually what it means, but it means unmerited favor. It's important. It's an extremely important work. It, it's, it, you can't even grasp the, the, the concept of salvation in God and Jesus Christ and what it is. You, you can't even understand it. Any church that dances with the idea of religiosity and removes this idea of grace and mercy is not a church of God's at all, right? I don't care whether you're Christian or not. That's a key for you, right? There's a major key for you to spot who's faking the funk, right? Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is what lets God look at us. And the Bible says that we were, that while we were enemies of God, while we were enemies of God, he already had a plan to draw us and save us from our sins, right? I don't know about you, right? But like, I struggle when it comes to my family and my family being violated or any way or anything like whatever. Like one night, somebody, I was out of town and somebody was creeping around my house or whatever and I was talking a lot on the phone and she just called the police um, and the guy came out from on the side of the house right in front of her while she was on the phone with me and like looked at her and she was horrified, right? Man, it's been like eight, nine months. I still be looking for this dude for no reason. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Like I just be inside of the grocery store getting coffee and brother just walk up, I be like, you know, in my brain I be like, just like, just, just looking for it. I just be like, God, I need to let this go. But I just think about God and the weightiness of our sin. What it, how costly it is. We may be small in our mind, but how costly it is, how it destroys, and how what God meant for all of this to be, and how he could possibly have grace for us. But he does, and it was the only way. And he gives it to us 
freely. But it wasn't free for him. Jesus had to wear it, right? He had to wear it. It's like when you go in a grocery store and you break something, they'd be like, yeah, don't sweat that, you know? It's all good. And they give you grace or whatever. They don't trip about it. But actually, there's a paper in the back or whatever that has all the data concerning whatever you just broke, and it actually did cost somebody something. You get what I'm saying? They just covered the cost for you. Ephesians 2 says this right here. Ephesians 2.8, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's gangster stuff right here. It's thug stuff, whatever you want to call it. It says, by grace you have been saved through faith. It means that this, this is saying, when it says, this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. It's saying that the fact that you are a Christian, or even if you are not a believer and you're sitting in the crowd right now and you feel something pulling at your heart right now, it's not because you're all warm, cute, and you're good. It's because the Spirit of God is actually tugging at your heart right now. It has nothing to do with you being good. We're not here because we're good. I don't preach because I'm good. If any of y'all ever ran with me in the streets, you be like, they don't know who they talking to. This, he, I thought he was Satan, brother. I don't know what's going on. Low down dirty thief. I stole from my mama. My mama's in the crowd right here. That low. I don't know what else to tell you. Saved by grace. Have nothing to add to the story of why, why we're here right now, right? Not one single thing. Second Corinthians 5, 21 says this. It says, for he made him who knew no sin for uh, to, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's what he came to do. God is not, we're in love with ourselves. God is not naive to be caught up in our good works and everything else, right? It's like your kids when they draw you a picture and they come to you and they're like, Yo, look what I drew you, Daddy. And you're like, yo, it's a beautiful flower. And they're like, it's not a flower, it's grandma. <laughs> you're like, I'm just playing with you crazy. Like, but you still rejoice over what they're doing because you understand the intent of their heart, right? You understand? You understand the intent of what their heart, what they meant to do. And that's how God deals with us, right? That's how God deals with this. He knows, he knows your heart when it's pure, when it's intentional or whatever, right? So he'd be like, that's beautiful. Even when he knows there's a little bit of selfishness in it because he has a plan for us. He says he'll never leave us or forsake us or whatever. So salvation isn't, boom, I'm saved and I'm cute all of a sudden. It's God is like, you're mine. Let's talk about something real quick. The Bible talks, calls us who follow Jesus sons, right? And when he says sons, it uses that, and it, 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 that, 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 that's talking about daughters and everybody, right? It's using the text back then or whatever, right? Because son meant heir, right, to the throne. And so when the Bible uses that verbiage, it's talking about how we all, men, women, young, old, everybody, who are believers in Christ Jesus are heirs or whatever, right? 
So let's talk about what it means to be a son, and let's talk about what it means to be an orphan. When they ask the question, what kind of works do we have to do? That's going to go either way. It's going to go son mentality or orphan mentality, right? What you see inside of the system often is people, kids get put into a family or foster family or whatever the case is, and either they come in and the love is so amazing and overwhelms them over time that there's no separation. They're like, that's my mom. That's my dad. Whatever the case is, right? And you can't tell them no different. They'd be like, he got an afro and you Asian. We don't understand. Like, we don't care if you don't understand. It is what it actually is. Our hearts are mended like this, right? And then you have another child that comes in, and the other child can't quite believe that this is really, really real, right? So everything they do walking around the house is them working to be accepted. You understand? They're never at peace at home because they don't believe it's really their home yet. They don't believe that dad is really dad, right? That's why he says, when he says this is the work, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Because if you believe that you're a son, then you're going you're gonna to move like one. You're going to walk inside of the refrigerator, and you're going to drink out the milk jug, like my kids do, like I did for years. And you be like, yo, don't drink out the milk jug. And they're going to be like, all right, all right. And then you're going to catch them the next day drinking out the milk. They're like, yo, the glass is like seven feet over there, man. Like, what do you want me to do? You know what I'm saying? They're like, it's a, a foot right here, or seven, what do you want me, you know? And it, but it's like, they know you're not going to get rid of them. It doesn't change the relationship. You understand what I'm saying? The work... It's believing what Jesus did on the cross. That is the only work when it comes to walking with Jesus Christ. That's it. There is nothing else that we add to this at all. It's believing in the work that he has already done to save you. Y'all with me? John 3.19 says this, and I'll begin to close. It says, the, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. They were so busy chasing the bread that they missed the bread. It's been about 19 years ago, I came to Christ, right? And I was sitting in a church, and I was actually sitting in the church, and the only reason I went to church is because Lana, we were dating at the time, and she had found this church. She wasn't a Christian. She just kept begging me to go to church. And um, I just was scared. I was like, if our brother go up in the church, it's going to be a problem. 
Like, I just can't do it. I was scared, right? I didn't know what I thought, whatever, but I just saw the commercials where like people have demons come out of them. I was like, that's me right there. You know, that's what's gonna happen. I just figured, I'm like, if demons are gonna come out of anybody, I was probably gonna be me. That's what I just thought. I was scared to go in, right? Um, and then I got caught in a situation in the street. And so I needed a place to sit and have some quiet and plan a retaliation for a situation. So I actually started going to church to get some peace and quiet to plan a murder, right? And so I'm sitting in church, it had been maybe like a month and a half, maybe two months, um, and, and I actually started liking it. Like there's certain things that I envied about the people that I mocked when I first got there, and I eventually became jealous of it where I was just like, what do these people see that I don't see? And it, and it started to bother me a whole lot. I was like, at first I was like, these people are crazy. Then I was like, I wanna be crazy. Um, but nevertheless, regardless, I felt like this person that I had an issue with needed to die, right? So I'm plotting, I'm looking at their house, everything else, and I'm in a service this particular Sunday, and I decided, I said, I'm gonna take it out, I'm gonna handle it this Wednesday. They go to do the altar call that morning, very much like what we're hearing right now, even only it was a super huge church with thousands and thousands of people. And I hated to hear the altar call. Every week, I came up with a way to get out of the building. I just hated it, right? I just wanted to take a whole chair and throw it at the pastor. It was an evil little something, little wicked little thing, right? And, um, and I leave out this one particular Sunday, and you don't have to believe this story at all. I'm not telling you for you to believe it. This is just what happened to me. This is how I came to Christ or whatever, right? And I leave out of it. I tell Lana, hey, babe, let's hurry up and beat the traffic. That was the kind of stuff I would say to get out. This is slick, you know what I mean? So let's hurry up and beat the traffic, boo, you know? And uh, I want to get you to get something to eat, whatever. Just take it to go get some bread. I'm trying to get away from the bread, you feel me? <laughs> and um, we walk out of the doors, and I take a few steps, and I hear... God say clear as day, you are going to die this week. And that's all I heard him say. And it was the most, it just felt like the whole world heard it. And, um, and Lana stopped, she said, Jay, are you high today? I said, no, I'm not high today. Maybe I need to be, because I don't know what is going on, right? And so I stopped and I just started crying like a baby. And, um, I went to the altar in there and I said, God, I love drugs, I love women, I love every, all this stuff. I was like, but it's gonna kill me, right? And I said, God, you can take, take my life, right? Take it, have it. Um, you know what's crazy about that thing is that like, I had said a prayer, cause like, you know, we grew up going to church. I, I, I had asked God into my heart a million times. I promise you I did. It was, it was a routine, right? It was a routine. I asked them a million times. Um, and I hear people say this all the time, whatever. They're like, I asked, I asked, or whatever. Like, he's not doing nothing. It's not changing anything or whatever. But it wasn't until that day that I understood that when I asked, I was still chasing this other type of bread. I want him to just make life better, right? He says, if you, if, it says, he says, if you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself. 
right? So I never wanted to die before. I never wanted to deny myself. I just wanted him to make myself better. That day was different. I knew there's no arguing with God. When he says it's over for you, it's over. There was no questioning. When I heard that voice, I didn't say, oh, God, is that you? Are you serious like that? It was like I was standing before a judge and just got a life sentence. I, there was no wiggle room whatsoever. So my plea was as sincere as it could be. I know there's nothing but a coffin. Lord, take it all, right? I would like to tell you something sweet, like that wasn't the situation in that, you know, it just, the message just warmed my heart and I ran and jumped in the Lord's arms. But it didn't happen like that. The story's not about me being good. It's about his mercy that day. Um, but I'm telling you that story is because I actually did die that day in a way and was reborn that day. And so in a minute, we're about to take communion and people are gonna come up to the front and they can pray with you. Today could be a bunch of our birthdays. It could be a bunch of our birthdays today, right? Um, this is of an eternal matter. It's, it's a weighty, it's a weighty thing. And I'm not asking you to respond to a heartfelt message or anything like that. I'm asking you to respond to the Spirit of God. If you are in the seat and only you can judge this, if something is touching your heart and if you're like, I am chasing after bread and all this other stuff, and I don't completely understand this, but I feel like God is drawing me in and trying to do something right now. Um, I want you to respond um, to that. And you can just respond to that by coming up and praying with somebody in the front. We're going to take communion. We do it every week. Don't take communion if you're not a Christian. The Bible specifically says, like, this is actually for people who are followers of Jesus Christ. And it's not a thing where we're trying to be a leader or anything like that at all. It's how we come together and we have communion and we celebrate his body being broken for our sins and making us believers. It's about celebrating him. It's not our goodness. It's not because we're good that we get to do it. It's because by his mercy, he's brought us into his marvelous light. So it's something that we do. And we would love for you to actually be able to do it with us. And so if you feel like God is calling you to, you can actually do that as a step of faith today. And we could talk about what it looks like for you to actually walk with Christ, surrender to the Lord, and actually be baptized. And we would love to be a part of that and live that out with you. Um, so y'all good with that? Amen? Everybody stand up. We're about to worship really quick. Let me just pray for us really fast before I step off. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just praise you. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for um, your, just your mercy and grace to us, Father. We thank you that um, you give us the freedom to proclaim your goodness, Father, Lord. We don't want to um, play church. We don't want to just, we don't feel like doing the games. We don't got the energy to. Um, but we want to see people come to know you and follow you, Father. And, um, and we want to love on this community that you put us in as well, Father Lord. So we prayerfully ask that you show us how to do that, um, how to get outside of ourselves and be led by you, Father Lord, and bring glory to you. Um, just thank you and, and, and bless you, Father Lord. But we just pray for all the people that are in here, Father Lord. If anybody's suffering with, you know, just intimidation or maybe they're just scared to just move or whatever, or they're like, oh, everybody's going to see, um, you know, I'm messed up or don't have it together. Well, welcome to the family. 
we all are jacked up in here. Um, and, 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 and Lord, so I pray that that, um, that truth um, will saturate the room and people will feel right at home um, and feel at peace walking in the light. Help us be better to be better at that. Um, if we have any error of that we have together, to help us to sanctify us out of that, to walk more in your humility and more, walk more like you, Father Lord. But we, we exalt you as King of kings and Lord of lords, Father. We praise you and we thank you this morning. We pray, thank you for everybody who's come in this room today. Um, even if today isn't the moment for them, Father Lord, we just thank you that we get to be with them, hang out with them, Father Lord, celebrate with them this morning, Father. Um, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Love y'all.